A reading from the book of Genesis. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warmed us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we said to him, it was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and they spoke with him at the door of the house and said, oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of the sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given them donkey's fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? 
is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of them. And they drank and were merry with him. The word of the Lord. I'm sure everyone here was wondering, are we reading the whole book of Genesis this morning? Uh, you did just hear all of Genesis chapter 43. You're welcome. On this spring ahead day, I'm glad you guys made it here, here in person or online. For those who are visiting, my name is Paul. I'm the senior pastor. And we're making our way through the story of Joseph. And there are certain passages where you can just read a verse or two. Here it's a narrative. And so we want to honor scripture as we make our way through this story in this book of Genesis. So before we dive into Genesis 43, will you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, let me begin by asking everyone this question. Have you ever experienced the expulsive power of a new affection? Have you ever experienced the expulsive power of a new affection? As relayed by Kent Hughes, shortly after the armistice of World War I, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse visited the battlefields of Belgium. It was a lovely spring day. The sun was shining and not a breath of wind was blowing. As Dr. Barnhouse walked along, he noticed that leaves were falling from the great trees arched along the road. He brushed as a leaf that had fallen against his chest, as he pressed it in his fingers, it disintegrated. He looked up curiously and saw several other leaves falling from the trees. Remember, it was spring, not autumn. Those leaves had outlived the winds of autumn and the frost of winter. They were falling that day seemingly without cause. Then Dr. Barnhouse realized why the most potent force of all was causing them to fall. It was spring, the sap was beginning to run and the buds were beginning to push from within, from down beneath the dark earth. Roots were sending life along the trunk 
branch and twig until that life expelled every bit of deadness remaining from the previous year. It was as the great Scottish preacher Thomas Chalmers termed it the, quote, expulsive power of a new affection. And so new life was bursting forth where old life once lived on that spring day. I just love that phrase, the expulsive power of a new affection. See, friends, change, true change, deep change, lasting change is not a product of what happens around us, but what happens within each one of us. When God invades our hearts and our stories and reveals to us all that needs to be cut away, this sin or that sin, this pattern or that pattern, this relationship or that relationship, and sometimes it hurts, and I mean really hurts, this change. And yet somehow through it all, God is at work. And by way of this process, is God punishing us? Is he punishing you? Well, no. As Pastor Drew shared last week, he's not punishing us. No, through this process of change, God's correcting us. He's calling us. He's creating space in us for something that poets, artists, and theologians have tried to capture in words and in color for years. And what is it? What's he creating space for, Ari? He's creating space for his grace. God is creating space for his amazing, shocking, and scandalous grace. And today, One Fellowship, we're going to see it. Once again, we're going to see this thread that binds all of Scripture together, God's amazing and scandalous grace. And not only will we see it, we'll hear it. Our passage, Genesis 43, will ask us, have, have you, Justin, experienced it? Have you experienced God's grace? Has it wrecked you? Has it rescued you? Has it remade you to be the man or woman, boy or girl, God created you to be? Grace. So let's dive into our passage. The big idea we're going to unpack today from our passage is this. When fear and responsibility assumption drive us back to God, his scandalous grace will come pouring in. And we're going to unpack this through two points. Point one, don't run from fear or responsibility assumption. And then point two, instead run to the grace Scandalous grace of God. So point one, don't run from fear or responsibility assumption. Our passage begins, Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that had been brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to them, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother's with you. If you will send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy you Food, but if you'll not send him, we'll not go down. For this man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel, or Jacob, 
said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, well, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and, and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge for his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I, did not, if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. So as a brief recap, we've been examining the life of Joseph this winter. Together, we've been examining how God, through his love and providence, has mysteriously been with this Old Testament figure through many twists and turns, not only to save his life, but to save his family's life. And in so doing, God's overarching aim through it all was and is this, to save and bless many lives, not just their lives, but many lives, many families, and many nations around the world. You see, it was through this one family, Joseph's family, that the promises made to Abraham many years before were meant to be fulfilled. Joseph, for those who were new with us, Joseph and his brothers were, in fact, the great-grandsons of Abraham, Father Abraham. Thus, as we've seen God show up time and time again in this story through personal chaos, family chaos, societal chaos, and prove what? That he is faithful. God was and is always faithful to his kids and his promises. And in contrast, humans are not. Humans are not always faithful. Even humans who've been personally called by God, loved by God, touched by God, God excuse me, humans often fumble the ball, so to speak. We botch it. Joseph's family often botched it. That brings us to today. In Genesis 43, there's a reckoning at hand. Joseph's family, his dads and his brothers and their young kids, they're all starving. There's a famine in their land. There's a famine throughout the whole earth. And consequently, what do we see? Well, what do we all feel when life starts to fall apart? We see fear. In our passage, we see lots of and lots of fear. In verses one and two, Jacob basically says to his sons, we need to eat, go to Egypt, go back to Egypt, get us some grain. That's a simple request, right? Just go over there, get us some grain. Only it's not a simple request. It actually uncovers, excuse me, residual fear and pain that's been brewing for years. As detailed in Genesis 43, the brothers had already been to Egypt. You remember? They had already secured grain, but in the process had been harassed by Pharaoh's number two to the point where their own brother Simeon had been arrested and was sitting in jail at this point in Egypt. The only way they were going to secure grain and freedom for their, for their brother Simeon was to return to Egypt with their younger brother, Benjamin, that had been the request. Why? Well, it's mysterious. 
in our passage. And when they had told their father Jacob this, he said, no way, I will not send you back. I will not lose any more sons. Yet that's not all. There's more fear here. Upon returning home, if you remember, they had looked in their sacks and the money they had given for the grain originally had returned back to their sacks. Thus, they believed if they returned to Egypt without their brother, Benjamin, they'd not only be treated as uh, rebellious spies or foreigners, but they'd be treated as thieves. So they rightfully had double fear, but that's not it. There's more. The brothers, as Genesis 42 had ended and Drew shared last week, they faced fear from their past, or should I say the sins of their past. If you remember in Genesis 32, excuse me, 37, these brothers had beaten, stripped, and sold a brother Joseph into slavery. And they thought all of this bad stuff was happening because of the sins of their past. And, and they said in Genesis 42, God is making us pay for this past, which brings us back to fear. Jacob, the old man, was scared. The brothers, Jacob's sons, were scared. The entire family, it seems, was scared, not just by what they're facing, listen, but by what they had done. There was a reckoning at hand, and there would be no more hiding. Fear was stripping them down and gripping their hearts. Now let's bring this into our world today. Have you ever been scared looking at your present life or even your past life? Allow me to share a story. In our household, my wife has taken it upon herself to teach our kids to drive. Now listen, for this or anyone who has done this, you deserve a medal. Anderson's who taught Kendall to drive. Was it you, Brett? Okay, you're a brave man. You get a medal. Listen, well, in our family, not only has Carly taught Caden how to drive last year, she taught Blaze how to drive. Here's how it went down, friends. First, Carly started in some of those big open parking lots on Daniel Island. You know what I'm talking about? Those who are local? I believe they belong to the tech companies. Now, if you're someone like me, you might ask, is that legal? I do not know. You need to take this up with Carly. <laughs> Next, Carly moved Blaze to the streets, which she said was terrifying, beginning with their inaugural trip. Listen, as Blaze drove that first day in real conditions, Carly recalls that Blaze had both hands on the wheels and his eyes were locked in on the road. And she thought, that's Great, good start. Then as they continued on this inaugural trip, something unique or different started to happen. What was that? She, she looked over and Blaze started to sweat. And it wasn't just a little sweat. It started on his nose, then started coming down his face like an old movie called Airplane. Started coming down his face, then down his arms and on his hands. And this poor guy soon was drenched driving in these real conditions, and yet his eyes were still locked on the road. And she thought, I, I dare not uh, distract him. He's doing a good job. 
Then as they continued to drive, Blaze sweating and drenched and all, Carly says things actually got scary. As they made their way down Daniel Island Drive, Blaze, trying to be extra cautious on that one-way street, avoided being close to the curb on his left, on his driver's side, so he kind of hugged the road to the right. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Except here's the problem, friends. There are tons of cars parked on the right side of Daniel Island Drive, that one-way street. Consequently, as Blaze drove on this inaugural drive, suddenly he got within an inch or two of a row of cars on the street, and she screamed, Blaze, watch out! And as you might imagine, this caused him to sweat all the more. But thankfully, he corrected his path, and they were safe. Here's how the story ends. Blaze and Carly did make it home that day, and last year he did secure his license. He's not here at this service, but praise the Lord, it happened. And Blaze, listen to this, Blaze would later recall that first trip to us by saying these words, words, excuse me, well, mom, dad, at least now when I drive, I'm able to talk. (laughs) Blaze had been so scared to drive that not only did he sweat a lot, but he could not talk. Isn't that a fun story? I love my kids. Now, bringing this back into our sermon, let's focus on this word fear. Friends, might fear be a gift in life by which we recognize our limits and our need to take responsibility in life? Fear. Might fear be a vehicle not to drive us away from God, but drive us back to God, back to him. In the face of fear, what do we see happen in our passage? We see Judah become a changed man. Send the boy with me, he says to his dad. We will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones, I will be a pledge of his safety. Verses eight and nine. And friends, this change in Judah is astonishing if you've been with us in our story. Judah, as you may recall, was the ringleader of the brothers who sold his younger brother, Joseph, into slavery in Genesis 37. Judah, as you may recall, was the one who'd acted callously and recklessly by first abandoning his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Do you remember this kind of gross story? He abandoned his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and then unknowingly impregnated her. Yes, it was this Judah, selfish Judah, violent Judah, wayward Judah, who had been a nightmare until now. Here we see in the face of fear, Judah finally step up and take responsibility for his life and his family's life. Send me, he says. And if things go wrong, blame me. And friends, this is real life change at hand. And it all starts in Judah by not running from fear or responsibility assumption. Now I want to pull back and invite each one of us to stop and reflect for just a minute. 
Are you carrying any fear this morning? Fear of providing, fear of protecting, fear of the future, fear of the past. Might this fear be calling you to trust God and live courageously in a new way today? Or might God be drawing to the surface past sins for which you need to give account, like Judah? Might you need to take responsibility for something you have or have not done, have or have not said? Might you need to make a confession or offer a true apology today to someone or in the days ahead? This leads us to point two. After listening to fear and taking responsibility, run to the scandalous grace of God. Run. Our passage continues. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm, a little honey, gem, or excuse me, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother, arise and go to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man and may he send back your other brother in Benjamin. Friends, what does scripture call us to do when we come to the end of ourselves? Listen, we're invited to cry out to God, which is what the dad does here. Specifically, I love this, specifically, Jacob uses the words, God Almighty, which is who Judah would need God to be in the coming days of his life. And it's who many of us will need God to be in the coming days of our lives. Why do I say this? Well, this title, God Almighty, comes from a title, a Hebrew title many of us have heard before, El Shaddai. You ever heard that before? El Shaddai. Specifically, it is first introduced in Genesis 17 when God told a 99-year-old Abraham that his wife Sarah, 90 years old at the time, that they would have a baby. To this, Abraham had laughed at God and God had replied, listen, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son and boom, just like that, it is done and they have a son. El Shaddai means, quote, God the overpower or God Almighty. And it speaks to the character and ability of God to overcome all of our inadequacies and deficiencies. And let me ask, do any of you have any inadequacies or deficiencies, or uncertainties in your life today. I know I do. And in our passage, Judah surely did as well, right? El Shaddai. Jacob says to his son Judah in verse 14, may El Shaddai, God Almighty, 
show you mercy or compassion as you go. Likewise, we're invited to cry out to God in this title to God, El Shaddai, God Almighty, go with me as I go today. And so what happens next to Judah and the brothers? Are they whipped, beaten, and thrown in a pit? No, they're not. Are they convicted as thieves and treated as criminals in our story? No, they're not. Are they thrown into slavery and harsh labor for decades to come? No, they're not. No, Judah and his brothers return to Egypt and are met with what? Shocking and scandalous grace. Listen to this. In the face of great fear, they are welcomed with peace. Verses 23 and 27. Owing much money, their debt is wiped clean. Verse 23, deserving of death, Simeon is set free. Verse 23, and covered in filth, their feet are washed clean. Verse 24, these brothers had to be absolutely stunned. They knew they deserved punishment and death, but what did they receive? Grace. Shocking and scandalous grace. Now, pulling back for a second, does any of this sound familiar? It should because it points us to what we are all offered in Jesus through his scandalous, majestic, and eternal grace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus offers to his disciples and us. John 14, 27. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us or wash us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, verse 9. So if the Son sets you free, Stacy, you will be free indeed. John 8, verse 36. Brian, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And just wrapping up our passage, where do we see the grace of God reach its climax in Genesis 43? Where do we see it? At a table and at a feast. And listen, friends, where does scripture say Jesus's followers will be reunited with him in eternity? Ready? At a table and at a feast. Revelation chapter 19. Isn't that remarkable? The great twist of Genesis 43, of course, is that the brothers, by the end, still don't recognize Joseph, who had ascended to be Pharaoh's number two. They could have never fathomed such a scenario or situation would come about when they sold him into slavery. But here's what matters. Joseph recognizes them, the brothers, and he recognizes that he somehow, he's been given the opportunity to forgive them and provide for them. Joseph's been given the opportunity to offer them what? Grace. God's shocking and scandalous grace. And so Joseph welcomes his brothers with peace and compassion. And he mysteriously then seats them according to their age and then serves them extravagant food from his table. Grace! What does scripture say was their response? And the men looked at one another in amazement. Verse 33 
And then scripture leaves us with this. And they drank and were merry with him. Grace. What an awesome story and what an awesome picture of God, what God wants to offer you and me today. Grace. Do any of you need God's grace today? Do you know his grace today? Do you have any fear or responsibility for which you need to take ownership today and cry out to El Shaddai, God Almighty, the one who asks, is anything too hard for me? He can handle all of your inadequacies, all of our uncertainties, all of our deficiencies, grace. God's shocking and scandalous grace. We see it here in this story and we see it fully realized and offered through Jesus to all of us through his story, grace. Friends, let God's grace pour into your life today. If any of this has touched you, whether you're at home or here in person, I just invite you in a posture that I learned from St. Augustine to, to put your palms up and to ask and invite the Lord to send his grace into your life today, whatever you're facing. So let us now go in that posture of receiving from the Lord into prayer as we transition. Grace. God, we, we long for your grace. In our fear, and where you call us to take responsibility, we forgive us and love us and know us and pour out your grace in Jesus to us. We recognize that we're but human. We, we fumble, we, we, we botch it, we, we get it wrong. But you offer us shocking and scandalous and everlasting grace. God, for all who are joining us at home and here in person, I just pray that you would pour out your grace upon this place today and we'd see revival. We'd see hope. Our lives would be changed. Our community, our world would be changed by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.